Amen. Got to put my mic on. I got so engrossed with that song. Not grossed out, but engrossed. Wow, that was good, wasn't it? What a message, amen? All right, I think we're ready to go now. Well, I just wondered today, and again, I know it's, it's a Memorial Day weekend, but and I may be, um, I, I don't know, I don't think I'm, I'm out of place here, but I was kind of curious, um, if, if, you have, if you have a spouse uh, or possibly a son or a daughter or a grandchild that's given their life for this country in the military. Could could you stand for us? I I just want to let you know. Would you please do that? Does anybody know anyone like that? Anybody has lost a loved one in the military? Yeah, very good. Anybody? Yeah, sure. Anybody else? I mean, a grandson, a child, uh, a relative even close to them. Listen, we, we celebrate uh, this particular, we call it a holiday. We celebrate it to memorialize and to remember those lives that were lost in battle, those that gave their life for this country to ensure the freedoms that we now possess. And to you who have lost loved ones, have felt that directly in your life, I just want to say thank you for your sacrifice. Because honestly, we can't tell those that have already gone how much we appreciate them, but it costs those around them as well. It's not just their life that was affected by this pursuit of liberty. It's the lives of all of those who they touched along the way as well. And so for those that did recognize that, or maybe you just chose not to stand, I want to say thank you to you as well. And we want to honor you in that sense and say, boy, the sacrifice that you made, it truly, we do appreciate it and we recognize it as that, a sacrifice. And we commend your loved one for being willing to pay the ultimate price so that we can stand here with liberty today to preach and proclaim this book, the Word of God, and to live our lives accordingly in America. A memorial, you think about a memorial. And a memorial is that which preserves the memory of something. Anything that serves to, 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 to keep in memory. Take your Bible, if you would. Turn over to the book of Joshua, please. You know, throughout the history of the United States, there have been scores of men and women who have sacrificed life and limb for freedom. And their selfless sacrifices were the seed plot of a nation of liberty I understand that we're in a battle today for liberty, freedom in so many ways. As believers, we're concerned about certain freedoms and liberties that maybe we once possessed. We're concerned that possibly in the future or even now some of those freedoms are eroding. But may I say, we still live in the greatest country in the world. At least I believe that. I wouldn't want to live anywhere else, I'll tell you that much. And the sacrifices that were made the blood that watered the soil for our freedom is something that we can never forget. We have to remember the price of freedom. Freedom does not come free. There's a great price that must be paid. Memorial Day is a time to remember and to contemplate what America and its citizens have lost and gained. 
And over the span of our nation's history, you realize that there's been over a million soldiers who have died in the cause of freedom. That's an amazing thing. And you know, we can put flowers on their graves and we can count the markers. We can adorn the spots with American flags. But the truth is, we can never, ever, ever count the lost dreams. Those unfulfilled hopes or broken hearts that ultimately were affected as they were stolen out of the bloom of their youth. Well, on this Memorial Day, we need to remember those that gave their lives so that we can today have the freedoms and experience the freedoms that we do possess. Here in the passage in Joshua chapter 4, we're going to see that they're going to build a memorial. Joshua chapter 4. They're going to build a memorial, something to once again look back on. I mean, a memorial, that which preserves the memory of something. And as we gather today and throughout this weekend and on Monday especially, our, our, our emphasis is on remembering those that gave their lives for this nation and the freedoms that we possess. But in the Bible, we see here a passage in Joshua 4 where God is going to instruct Joshua now to build a memorial so that the people of God can go back and remember something. Notice what it says here in Joshua chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Joshua chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. And it came to pass, when all the people were clean passed over Jordan, that the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Take ye twelve men out of the people, out of every tribe a man, and command ye them, saying, Take ye hence out of the midst of Jordan, out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm, twelve stones, and ye shall carry them over with you, and leave them in the lodging place where ye shall lodge this night. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had prepared of the children of Israel out of every tribe of man. And Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of Jordan. Take you up every man of you a stone upon his shoulder, according unto the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you, that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean ye by these stones? Then ye shall answer them, that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over Jordan, the waters of Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be a memorial for a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. A memorial, that which preserves the memory of something. Anything that serves to keep in memory. While Sherry and I were on vacation a few years back, a number of years ago really, but... Uh, we visited an old Colonial Park Cemetery in Savannah, Georgia. There are tombstones in that particular cemetery that date back to the 1700s. It's a, I mean, there are some real old stones. And it, served the city's, uh, it serves as the city's primary burial ground for about 103 years of their history from 1750 to 1853. Now, there are about 700 burial markers in roughly 12,000 graves in this cemetery. Among the notable memorials is one by, uh, of a man named uh, Button Gwinnett. He lived between 1735 and 1777. He was a man who signed the Declaration of Independence. But perhaps he was even more noteworthy for his duel with a man by the name of Mr. McIntosh in 1777. 
I'm in a duel. Can you imagine that? Those were the good old days. He would eventually die from the wounds sustained during that exchange of pistol fire. He was, um, he has kind of a, a temple style burial marker for his valued service during the revolution and American revolution and so forth. And that was a, a neat thing to see, to consider the history, to be reminded again of a man who signed the Declaration of Independence. I guess it wasn't that big a deal to remember that he got shot and ultimately died from the complications of it. But Button Gwinnett, if you'd go to Savannah, Georgia, you can go to that memorial and you can be reminded of that. Another person, another person that we saw along the way was Archibald Bullock. He lived between 1730 and 1777. He decided to focus his efforts on Georgia's defense against Britain instead of signing the Declaration of Independence. His contributions to the United States politics, if you will, were far-reaching. Matter of fact, he has a great-great-grandson who ultimately was President Theodore Roosevelt. A memorial. It reminds us of the past. It directs our attentions eh, to a person or to a thing. And that's a good thing. Do you know throughout the Bible, God emphasizes to his people the need to remember, to rehearse the past? Do you realize that forever, as you go through the scriptures, God's always saying, remember, remember, remember. Why is it so important to remember? In our particular passage, the children of Israel have wandered in the wilderness for 40 years And now God is going to open up the door for them to enter into the promised land after 40 years. You recall leaving Egypt and as they went to the Red Sea, there Moses stretched forth that rod and the sea parted and they walked through on dry ground. What an exciting day that was. And now 40 years later, here they are now. A river, this time the Jordan, standing between them and the promised land that they're to possess. And God had told him to have the priests carry the Ark of the Covenant into the water. And as their feet hit the water and as they planted themselves there in that river, it would then also dry up. So that the people of God could walk through on dry ground, even as they did 40 years earlier in the Red Sea. Amazing, isn't it? So the priests carry the ark into the Jordan. The waters part. The people walk across on dry ground. And God had instructed Joshua to choose out 12 men. One of each tribe. Not just Levi. But all the tribes. By the way, it's important to note that it wasn't just Levi. Because many times we would say, of course, the, the religious are to remember. Of course, the preachers are to remember. Of course, the, those that are studied in the scriptures should remember. But ah, for everyone else, it's let them remind us. No, he says, no, every tribe, all people are to remember. And so, He chose 12 men to gather these stones from the riverbed and to carry them into the camp. I can only imagine, I don't know about you, but here they are now. They're going back to this riverbed. They're going to grab these stones. And I don't know, if you get 12 guys together, it always turns into a competition. And I can only imagine one of them goes up and says, oh boy, there's a good one right there. And at first he's not thinking a lot. He picks up the stone, he throws it on his shoulder 
And his buddy says, oh man, I got one here. Look at this one. It's just a little bigger. And he looks at his stone and says, man, this ain't nothing. I'm going to grab me. He starts looking around. I'm going to find me a little bigger one. And the next guy goes, look at the one I'm carrying. And he's walking along. I got this. And the other guy goes, oh, man, I'm going to get me a big one, too. And he gets over here, and he finds one up. He starts digging around a little bit, or he sees it sitting over there on the, on the ledge, kind of built up maybe over here, and he grabs it, and he, he kind of gets down, kneels down, and kind of puts it up on his knee, and he... Hey, these weren't little stones. I mean, they didn't just walk over and grab one and throw it in their pocket. These are going to be a memorial... These are going to stand as a testimony of a great event that God did in the lives of Israel. And these 12 men are grabbing these stones and they're carrying these stones out of that riverbed. They begin to stack them, put them in a place and in a way that, as the Bible says, not only will that generation, but every generation will remember. They will stand as a memorial of what God has done. Even as Israel, the Israelites had those stones to remind them of the mighty hand of God upon them, their nation. They had those mighty stones, those big stones to remind them of the victory that God had given them. I believe today that we have a memorial. That every time we look upon it, we are reminded of the mighty work God has done and the great victory He has wrought. And it's that cross. Oh, no one hangs on it any longer because the one who hung on it died, shed his precious blood, was buried in a borrowed tomb and rose again the third day. But every time we look at that cross, we're reminded of him and his sacrifice. We're reminded of the great and mighty work that God did. That God did. Not only in the lives of others, but he did in our lives. I can't help but remember his love. When I see that cross. I can't help but remember the life. That there now is and that I possess because of that cross. And the liberty and freedom that is mine because of that cross. And so today I want to talk a little bit about that memorial. The cross. As we reflect on. The men and women that gave their lives for our freedom, we must never forget the one who gave his life for ours eternally, the Lord Jesus. So we're going to have a word of prayer and then we'll consider those three aspects, that memorial, the cross. Father, we come to you. We thank you for this time together and we ask for that you'd speak to our hearts, you'd work in our lives. We desperately need you. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, for the men and women that laid their life down so that we could have freedom in this nation, we are grateful. For the sacrifices that they made, we are thankful. We are, however, also thankful. 
grateful for the sacrifice that you made on our behalf. Today, we want to bring glory to you as well. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. I think of the love. Every time we see the cross as a memorial, we recognize the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. The love of God that gave him. In John 3.16, you could quote it, I'm sure, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you realize that the Lord Jesus Christ left the confines of heaven, the comforts of heaven, and he took his place here on earth? There he walked the dusty trails of Galilee. He was mocked, maligned, and mistreated. And yet he continued in his journey and he continued in his purpose. The Lord Jesus Christ's love drove him, compelled by love, to ultimately take his place on a cross and to hang naked before heaven and earth, to there bear the shame, the guilt, and the sin of all mankind. What love. In John 10, verse 17 and 18, the Bible says, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. No one took his life. Who's responsible for the death of Jesus? Without a doubt, we can say our sin ourselves. But the truth is, is that no one made Jesus die on the cross. Even God the Father did not force him on Calvary. He willingly laid down his life. He took our place on purpose. And he loved you that much, and he loves me that much. And every time we see the cross, every time we look upon that memorial, we're reminded of that great love that God had for us and the Lord Jesus Christ had. Not only the love, though, but the life that we now have. In Romans chapter 6, the Bible says, For the wages of sin is death. Sin had a death grip on you, and it has a death grip on me. But Christ provides us life. What a wonderful truth that is. He goes on to say, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Every time we look at that cross, every time we view it, we must be reminded of the great life that is now ours. We were dead in our sins and trespasses, but now we're alive. Look, if you would, in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read through verse 6. A very powerful passage here. In Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, we're going to read through verse 6. It says, And you hath he quickened. That phrase meaning made you alive. He's talking to the church at Ephesus here. And when we discuss a church in the New Testament, we're not dealing with lost people. We're dealing with those that are already saved. The church is comprised of born-again, baptized believers. And so as Paul addresses the church, he's addressing born-again, baptized believers. And he said, not, not that unbelievers are not welcome to visit and to come in and to hear the gospel and to be under the preaching. That's not the issue. The point is, as he writes, he's writing to believers. He's trying to encourage, instruct, and inspire believers. 
And he says here in the passage, and you hath he quickened. You believers, you that know Christ, you that have been saved by the blood of Jesus, you hath he made alive. Who were dead in trespasses and sins. Notice that word were. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Past tense. Were. Not now. Were. In the past, you were dead. Now you're alive. Wherein, in time past, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we're by nature, that's important, isn't it? We're by nature the children of wrath. You know, you know what that means? It wasn't your choice. It wasn't your decision. It wasn't even your actions that made you this. You were the children of wrath. You were the ones receiving or guaranteed wrath. Not because of choice, not because of decision, but because of nature. A pig does not waller in mud out of choice, but nature. And we were wallowing in sin and we were condemned to death, not because we chose it, but because by nature that's who and what we are. It's our nature. It's a sin nature. We're condemned to die, to be separated forever, eternally from God the Father because of our sin. That's our nature. Therefore, there's nothing you can do about it. Well, I'll turn over a new leaf. I'll do my best to become a better person. That's not enough. Because by nature you are the children of wrath. By nature the condemnation of God is upon you. By nature you will die and go to a burning hell. Why? Because of your sin. Your sin nature. Therefore, praise the Lord, He hath quickened us. He made us alive. Not us. He made us. Not the pastor. Not the church. He made us alive. He quickened us who were dead in trespasses and sins. Verse 3, among whom also we had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others but God. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved. It hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Well, look at the work of God in our lives here. What a wonderful work it is. And every time we view the cross, every time we see that image, we're to be reminded of the very life that we have, the love that God gave to us and, and, and that he shared with us and the life that we now possess as a result of that. What a wonderful thing it is. In John 10, 10, the Bible says, The thief cometh not before to steal and to kill and to destroy. Jesus said, I come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. What life? Wow. The life that only a believer can understand. The life that only a believer can possess because Christ himself has given that life, has quickened us. Where once we were dead in our trespasses and sins, today we're alive in Christ Jesus seated in heavenly places with him. It's all his work in our life. It's because of Jesus Christ. 
And even as, that, as, those, as those Israelites could, would go back near that riverbed and the children would say, Mommy, Daddy, what's that all about? What, what do those stones there represent? Why are they all piled up like that? And, and how's come that seems to be such an important spot? Oh, let me tell you a little bit about that, son. Let me tell you about that, grandbaby. Let me tell you a little bit about that. Back years ago, before you were even born, God did a work. God did a work in our nation. God did a work in our lives. God did something mighty, miraculous. May I say every time our children, every time our grandchildren, every time those that we know look upon the cross, we need to remind them of what God did, how He loved us and how He gave us life. Not only that, but finally... Not only does the cross remind us of the love and the life that we possess in Christ, but also the liberty. Liberty is freedom, and freedom is exactly what Christ offers you and I today. In John chapter 8, verse 36, the Bible says, If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Man, if the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you should be free indeed. You know, where once we were in bondage to Satan and sin, the Bible's telling us that in Christ we are made free from that. See, we're no longer held captive. We're no longer enslaved by the tempter. We're at liberty to obey and to serve the Master, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul had often found himself in a mess throughout his ministry. And he was, uh, let's be honest, the, the butt of a number of jokes, I'm sure, and he was the target of evil men everywhere he went. His efforts to spread the gospel were met with tremendous opposition, no matter where he went, no matter what he did. And in 2 Corinthians, he shares the overwhelming, the overwhelming burden that he bore And he shares the eventual end that lurked in his life. I mean, he understood that death is where it all would end for him, that he was on a pathway to meet death. But despite the insistent attack, in spite the inevitable end, Paul chooses to focus his attention toward one bigger than his circumstances. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, turn there, would you please? 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 9 and 10. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, but we, and God utilizing his pen, the Apostle Paul here, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. You know, as relevant as this passage is to Paul's immediate situation, as practical as it is, As timely as it is, 
there's a much farther reaching application for each of us this morning. See, the believer, the Bible says, has been delivered from so great a death. That's the penalty of sin. We are born with that sin nature. And yet the Bible tells us that we've been delivered from so great a death. Again, the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth. And he's saying to the believers there that are assembled, I want you to understand and I want you to get it through your head. I want you to know that you've been delivered from the, so great a death. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but now you're made alive. He goes on. And the Lord doth deliver. He doth deliver. It's saying he delivers us now, not only from the penalty, but from the power of sin in our life. That you and I need not be held captive by sin or by the flesh or by the devil. We don't have to yield to him. We don't have to give in to the flesh. We can have victory in our lives, he's saying. In chapter 6, verse 6 and 7 of the book of Romans, it says, knowing this, that our old man, is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Romans chapter 6, verses 12 through 14 continues, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. You mean that I have a choice? You mean that it's up to me whether or not I allow sin to reign in my body? Whether or not I allow sin to continue to control me? You mean that's my decision now? Yes, as a believer it is. He goes on in verse 13. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. How's this possible? Where once I was lost in sin, where once sin had dominion over me, where once I could only do that which I chose not to do. I don't want to sin necessarily, but I can't help it. It's my nature. He says, I'll tell you how or why this is possible. Verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. He said, listen, I want you to know that God's grace has been extended to you. His mercy has been given to you. You've been washed and regenerated. You've been made anew and afresh. You're a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. What freedom we have to serve the living God today. What freedom we have to live our lives according to the word of God. Oh, yes, it's going to be a battle. Without a doubt, it's, there's going to be challenges that we face. And no doubt about it, we're going to have to utilize 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But my friend, when I fail God, it's not because he's failed me. Every time we look at that cross, stands as a memorial of the love of the Lord Jesus and the love of God. The life that is now ours in Christ and the liberty and freedom that we now possess to live and to serve Him effectively. May God help us to remember those fallen soldiers. But may we never forget the faithful Savior 
The cross stands as a memorial today. See, there's a battle that still rages. There's a battle for the souls of mankind. And the victory is ours through Christ, who laid down his life so that we might live. I trust that you've received the Lord today. I hope that at some point in your life you recognized yourself, the sinner that you were, bound by your sinful nature, having no hope of ever being reconciled to God in yourself. No hope of ever finding God's favor in yourself. You came to the conclusion that your sin bound you, and that you needed a Savior, someone to stand in your place, to pay for your sin, to reconcile you unto God. And you cried out to God and begged His mercy and forgiveness and invited Him into your life. And may I say, if you meant business with God and you turned yourself over to the Lord and gave yourself to Him, I want you to know that He gave to you eternal life. Oh Lord, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. Save me. Come into my life. Be my Savior. I'll never please you in this old flesh, this sinfulness of myself. I need you to wash my sin away, to make me new and fresh. He'll do that for you. He'll do that for you today. And then every time you look at the cross, you'll be reminded too of the love, the life, and the liberty that's yours in Christ Jesus. Do you know him as your Savior today? I hope you can say yes. And if you do, I wonder, when's the last time you genuinely, sincerely, honestly took time to thank him for the life, the love, and the liberty that's yours in Christ? It might be a good time to do it today. And maybe today you don't know for sure if heaven's your home. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. You don't have to question. You don't have to guess. You don't have to wonder. You can know life is yours. Eternal life is yours. But it'll never be gotten, procured in your own effort. It has to be Jesus. Because as he said, I am the way the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Will you take Christ as your Savior today? Will you trust and receive Him only? No one, nothing else, just Him. Because He is your salvation. It's not just a plan, it's a person. He's salvation. In Him is life. Will you trust Him today? Father, we come to you. Thank you again for the privilege and the opportunity that we 